with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 7 through 16 this morning. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you. And you can take one out and turn to page 977. Page 977. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I want to start with a question for the kids this morning. Kids, do you, do you remember the story of the Tower of Babel? Remember what, what happens in, in this story that The people all gather together and they're going to make this big tower. They're going to try to get all the way up to heaven by by working together on this tower. It's, It's an incredibly unified project. Everybody is speaking the same language. They're working together. And and they say, We are going to make a name for ourselves. And then God sees what's going on. And he says that. If speaking one language, they are able to accomplish this, then nothing that they attempt to accomplish will be too difficult for them. That God recognizes there is an incredible power to unity. When people are unified, they are speaking a common language that there is uh, a power to that unity that is formed. And so God came down and he he divided the languages. He scattered, the, the people ended up scattering because God frustrated their languages and the project came to an end. What we see here in, in Ephesians, letter to the Ephesians, is that God is actually at work putting humanity back together. But not that we would speak the same common verbal language, but God is binding those 
who are in Jesus Christ together with a common spirit. That God is in the work at, at restoring humanity, putting us back together and binding us together with a bond of peace by one spirit. We've seen that in verses 1 through 6 already. That, that there is one body and one spirit. There, there's an emphasis on, on the unity that the Holy Spirit has created. That when the Holy Spirit comes into the life of a believer, he does the same work in every one of us. That the Holy Spirit is at work to create his fruit in everybody. That everyone who has received Jesus Christ is to display love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We should all display these things. There is a unity of the Spirit, and yet there is not uniformity. That the Holy Spirit does the same work in all of us, but he doesn't work in the same way. It's like like a beam of light is incredibly powerful at, at, at piercing through the darkness, showing the way forward. But if that beam of light passes through a prism, what happens? You see that it's not just one color, it's many. And in, in the same way, the, the beam of light of God's Spirit, as it passes through the prism, we're going to see this morning, there is a vibrancy to the unity of God's people. When the Holy Spirit shines through the church, there is a vibrancy that is revealed. And so I want to ask this morning, where, where does this vibrancy come from? What is the vibrancy of the unity of the church? Where does it come from? And how is it actually built? And then lastly, what is the result? So first of all, where does it come from? Where does the, the vibrancy that God intends for the church, where is that supposed to come from? And we see that in verses 7 through 10. In, in the Star Trek universe, there is a, a particularly nasty villain called the Borg. And, and if you know your Star Trek, the, the Borg is this collective of, of individuals all working together, but they've lost their individuality. They, they have no personality. They, they have no uh, sense of, of individual self anymore. They simply say, we are Borg. And their mantra is, prepare to be assimilated. Resistance is futile. Well, there is a unity that the Spirit has created, but it is not a unity that destroys our individuality. The there is a, a particular individualism that we have within our culture that the Holy Spirit does seek to break down and to destroy. The, the, there is no sense where there is a true Christianity that's just me and Jesus. That God has bound us together in one body by the Spirit, but that is not to destroy our individuality. In verse, uh, in, if you look at chapter 4, verse 4, we see... There is one body and one spirit. If you look at verse 6, the word all gets repeated many times. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But now there's this turn in verse 7. There's a turn, turn from, from the focus on the one and the all to look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us. There is a turn now to, to each individual believer. 
And, and what we see here is that God has given grace to each one of us. And there, there's two particular things that, that we see about how God's grace works here. And I want to show you how, how this is where our, our vibrancy comes from. It comes from the ascended Christ. Jesus has ascended to heaven. We see that there, there in, um, in verse 8. It says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Here in just a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter where we remember the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that's not the end of the story. That Jesus ascended into heaven. And Jesus has not ascended into heaven uh, to simply twiddle his thumbs and wait for time to pass when he can come back. That it's the ascended Jesus that is actually the source of the vibrancy of the unity of the Spirit. Because what has Jesus done when he went back to heaven? He's done two things. He, or he has given gifts to believers. And two things about these gifts. First of all, they're personal. Verse 7, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. That we share in a common salvation. We all have shared in God's saving grace together. And yet there is a special experience, a personal experience of God's grace that he desires to give to you. Paul actually talked about this in his own life and ministry. If you flip back over to chapter 3, verse 7. Paul says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul says, God gave me a particular gift of grace. And, and the gift that God gave to me was to be able to go tell the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Jesus. You notice how, how Paul does not think of, of his life as, okay, Jesus saved me and he gave me uh, the gift of salvation. I get to go to heaven and so now I need to do something to pay Jesus back. That's not Paul's perspective at all. Instead, Paul says, wow, God actually gave me a gift that I get to use for him. And, and the gift that God gave me was to be able to go tell the Gentiles about Jesus. This is the personal gift of grace that, that each believer has received. You have received a personal gift of God's grace. And there's something else about this. Because if look back with me at, at chapter 4. Because if we look at chapter 4, verse 10... It says, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. That Jesus ascended into heaven and he gave these gifts of grace. And what is it that he is wanting to do? What is his intent in doing? His intent is that he would fill everywhere in the universe. That means that, that the gift of grace that you have been given is not only a personal gift, it is a proclamational gift. That Jesus desires to, through the gift of grace that he's given to you, 
to proclaim to the entire universe that he is supreme over all things. This means that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have received a gift that Jesus intends to send a message that he is ruling over everything. If I could put these together then, that to be a believer in Jesus Christ means that Jesus has given you a personal gift of grace that he intends to display in your life that he is over everything. So the question is, have you acknowledged this gift of grace in your life? Have you acknowledged that Jesus has given you a gift to display his glory to the universe? There's some of you here that I'm sure you already know what this gift is and that you are working at at using it within the church. There's probably others of you that that kind of know generally, okay, God God has something for me, but, but I don't know what my gift is. Lord willing, following Easter, we're going to be coming back and we're going to be looking into this more in depth about what are the gifts of grace that Jesus has actually given to his people and how can they be used uh, within the church. But what, what I want us to, to see right here is that the vibrancy of the church, the vibrant unity of the church it is vibrant because Jesus has ascended to heaven and sitting at the right hand of God. That Jesus in heaven is the source of our vibrant unity. This is not a vibrancy that we create through our own enthusiasm. It's a vibrancy that we have because Jesus is alive and is seated at the right hand of God. Secondly, how is it built? This this vibrancy that that Jesus intends to to be on display here in our unity in the church, how is it actually built? We see that in verses 11 through 13. Paul actually begins by talking about some of these gifts. Look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And that's it. Paul doesn't talk about any more gifts at this point. But but Paul clearly has in mind that each one of us has received a gift. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 29, he says, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? And the, apply, the implied answer there is no. No, not all are apostles and, and not all have these, these particular gifts. But, but Paul is, has in mind that each one of us has received a gift of God's grace. See, if we look over at Romans chapter 12, we see some some gifts mentioned. And then if we look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see some other gifts mentioned. And then we see these gifts mentioned here in Ephesians chapter 4. And and none of these lists actually all match up with with the other list. There's there's different gifts that are mentioned in each place. So in, in Paul's mind, he's saying, I want to share with you, Ephesians, I want to remind you of the foundational gifts. I want to remind you of the foundational gifts that God has given to the church. And it's these, these gifts that we see here. And the, the reason why I believe Paul mentions these gifts as the foundational gifts for the church is that these gifts particularly are the gifts that declare the word of God. 
If, if we uh, listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, listen to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now listen, this is the purpose. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So 2 Timothy 3 is saying that look at God's word and the purpose that God's word has is to equip people for for God's work. That's exactly what we see happening here in Ephesians chapter 4. That these word ministry gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers have a purpose. And what is the purpose? Look with me at verse 12 where it says to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So this this work here is this equipping work. You remember when uh, Jesus met Peter and Andrew? They're sitting by the Sea of Galilee. And do you remember what Peter and Andrew are doing there when they're sitting by the Sea of Galilee? They're, they're mending their nets. They're, they're preparing their nets to go fishing. This, this word that uh, is actually used there, what Peter and John are, are doing with, in mending their nets, it's, it's the same word we see here in Ephesians chapter 4 for equipping. That Peter and, John, uh, Peter and Andrew were equipping their nets, preparing their nets to work. And in much the same way, that's exactly what uh, these gifts are given to the church to do. That the church would be able to be equipped to do the work that God has for the entire church to do. There's, there's two particular reasons why these, this equipping work needs to be done. If you look at verse 12, it says, Equip the saints for the work of ministry. This word ministry is, is not a word that it's, that's reserved for just the, the formal uh, activities of the church, like, like leading worship or, or uh, preaching or doing these other formal church uh, activities. This word ministry, if you, if you follow it in the book of Acts, it's for a whole variety of activities. That the work of ministry, ministry in the book of Acts is used to actually talk about taking care of of widows. It's a word for service, serving people. And, and so the, the equipping work is to be able to help those who are in the church to be able to serve. When, when I'm doing my job as God has called me to do it up here, what should happen is that the gospel should go out. I should be able to take the gospel and help you apply it to your life in a way that you are now ready to serve. You are now able to serve and to use the gift that God has given you for one other purpose. Look at that in verse 12. For building up the body of Christ. How is it that, that the church the people are built up. It's by people in the church building up one another. The, here's the way it's supposed to work. The word is preached. You are prepared. And then the body builds itself up. That together the body works. That the whole building is built. Now, look at back with me at chapter 2. The end of chapter 2. 
where it says, verse 22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. When the church is, is built up together, what happens? God is present. That in the, the Old Testament, God showed up at the temple in his glory. It, it, it's, his, it's his power. It's his majesty. It's the, the, the brightness of his character. God actually wants to show that here in the church, in his people. So that when, when God's people are using their gifts, this is when God actually shows up. There, there is an unmistakable vibrancy to a church that's unified when they're building one another up because this is saying, this is now how God reveals himself within the church. This is where God's glory is revealed in the church. This is going to be a continual work. This is the ongoing work of the church because look with me at verse 13. In chapter 4, verse 13, it says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here's a, this word measure. This, this word measure is saying this is the standard that, that, that God is at work to, to, to measure our growth. How is the church looking in relation to Christ? And so this, this work of, of building one another up is, is to help us to grow to be more and more like Jesus. And, and that's not going to be complete until when? That's not going to be complete until Jesus comes back. There is a unity that is established here as a church because we all share the Holy Spirit. We all have the same Spirit in us as believers in Jesus Christ. That was established for us in, in the first six verses of chapter four. But you know what? It's not complete. And the reason I know it's not complete is that God is still in the business of saving people and bringing them into his family and bringing more people into the church. Revelation chapter seven is when we finally see the unity of the faith. That's when we finally see the unity. In Revelation chapter 7, when there is this great multitude that no one can count from every language, people, nation, and language, and, and tongue, all gathered around the throne, worshiping Jesus. That's when the unity of the faith has actually occurred. And, there, and we see that that's also going to happen when there is, in verse 13, when we attain to the knowledge of the Son of God. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, do you know Jesus? Yes, you do. You know him truly. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, do you know him fully? Not yet. We don't know Jesus fully yet. Paul is actually looking forward to this day. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, he says, for now we see in a mirror in a mirror dimly but then face to face now i know in part then i shall know fully even as i have been fully known see the, the knowledge of the son of god that 
that Paul is talking about here. He, he uses a word for knowledge uh, that is epigenosko. Gnosko is just a common word for knowledge in the Greek language, but epigenosko is like an epic knowledge. It's the full knowledge. That this building up work that we're to do as a church is going to continue until we have the full knowledge of Jesus. And that's going to happen when he comes breaking through the clouds to receive us to himself forever. And so we, the question is, are you ready to be equipped for the work that God has for you within the church? Are you ready to be equipped for God's glory to be displayed through your service here in the church. This is how the vibrancy of our unity is put on display. This is how it happens. And so then I want to ask finally, what is the result? You know, how could we recognize as a church that there is actually a vibrancy to our unity? See, how do we know that that we're we're unified and that 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 unity is is a vibrant unity? There's actually three ways that that Paul shows us. There's three signs of it. In verses 14 to 16, I want to show you three signs of this vibrancy. This is how we could recognize that the work of of ministry is, is getting done and it's really happening. The first one is stability stability. Look with me at at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. The work of Satan is to create instability, uncertainty in your life. That that Satan intentionally uses false teaching to create uncertainty in your faith, uncertainty in your relationship with God, uncertainty in life. Remember how Satan appeared to Eve in the garden? He said, has God said? He, he attempted to, to insert instability into Eve's life. And, and what, what does Satan say when he shows up to Jesus in the desert? If you are the son of God. What's he trying to do? He, he's trying to insert instability into Jesus's life. God desires that that we as a church would have a stability, that we wouldn't be tossed back and forth by wrong teaching. That when there is a stability in the life of the church, there is the vibrancy of our unity is, is actually on display. There's now, instability is also, we're, we're not fragmented into a bunch of individual lives that, that we have been joined together because we see that, that, that the goal is that we would come to mature manhood, that we would be unified as one, and that we would not be running around in all different directions as small children. Secondly, in addition to the stability, there is integrity. Integrity, we see that in verse 15, where it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So instead of being divided 
There is an integrity that we are brought together. We're brought together into Christ. And the way that that we are brought together into Christ is that we speak truthfully to one another. We speak truthfully with love. That there there is an integrity to our life together as a church. We are, the, the, the truth without love becomes very hard. But love without truth is weak. That true integrity is when truth and love are joined together. And then the third mark is sustainability. That the stability of the church, the integrity of the church leads to a sustainability in the church. And of verse 16, it says, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When everyone in the church is, is working properly, when everyone is prepared, and when everyone is, is using the, the personal gifts that, that Christ has given to them, what happens? that the church is sustainable, that the church builds itself up. So here's the last question. Are you ready to do your part? Are you ready to do your part? That Jesus has a purpose for you in the church. He he wants to use you to create stability, integrity, sustainability in the church. Are you ready to do your part? George Mueller was an incredible evangelist and pastor in England in the mid-1800s. But what Mueller was best known for was his work of starting orphanages. In 1834, when George Mueller surveyed England, there was housing for about 3,600 orphans. Not enough to meet the the pressing need within England at that time. Mueller began his work of of starting homes that he could bring in the orphans uh, of London and, and around England. By the time he had finished, he had created space and cared for 10,024 orphans. But Mueller's impact on England didn't simply end with the amount of orphans he cared for. 50 years after his death, in England, at least 100,000 orphans were being cared for in England alone. You know how George Mueller began his work? He was wandering down a street, lost. He had, he had grown up uh, in a home where they had gone to church, but he didn't really know Christ. And, and he became just a, uh, by his own definition, a, a liar and a swindler and a cheat. And then he, he was walking down this street and he was invited into a home where they were doing a Bible study. And as Mueller went into this Bible study and he spent time with these people, he saw something that was different. He saw that there was a vibrancy that these people had that that was lacking in his own life. He saw a peace and a life that they had that was missing. 
It was in them being together, studying the Bible together, singing together, praying together, sharing life together, that Mueller saw the gospel on display and he came to know Christ. And now today, we don't know the names of the people who were in that Bible study. But God used the vibrancy of their unity to light a fire throughout England. What could God do in the vibrancy of the unity of Enid M.B. Church? He ascended Jesus, giving his gifts to show his supremacy over all things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I commit this family of believers to you and ask that you would continue your work of binding us together, that we would grow up into the measure of Christ. And I pray that the gifts that you have given to this church body would be on display that we would be built up together and that Enid and the world would see that Jesus is truly over all things in his